Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators from VCs, real estate companies, academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, it's Michael Beckerman. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Cretech Climate Cast, where I talk to leaders who are helping to decarbonize the built world. Today, I'm thrilled to have Emily Mazzucarati. Did I get that right, Emily? Yes? Oh, I got it. Okay, I got the Emily part, uh, who is the Global Head of Climate Solutions at Moody's. And uh, Emily is somebody I've been following uh, for a while. I have great, great respect and admiration for all the work that she's doing for a good period of time and her current leadership at Moody's. Really, really important to this mission of helping to decarbonize the built world and beyond. So Emily, it's great to have you on the podcast. Where are we finding you today? Thank you. It's a pleasure to uh, be joining you. I am actually calling from Paris, France. Your base has been before Paris, France. Tell us about where some of your... I, I am French. I have been living in the U.S., um, primarily in California for the past 15 years, but we've just resettled in France for a year. So oh, great. here I am enjoying uh, heat waves from Paris instead of wildfires <laughs> in California. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. Yeah. So can you just give the audience that's not as familiar with you as I am and not been following you perhaps, was they should... A little bit about your background. What, what have you been doing before Moody's? Sure. I have a background in public policy, but a lot of my work has been around how markets and capital markets in particular can help accomplish social and public good outcomes. I've been working on carbon markets for many years where we helped. I worked in the private sector in an um, intelligence provider helping market participants understand what regulations would look like, what kind of carbon prices they should expect, and help them make the right decision in terms of investment and decarbonization. Yes, that was already a word 15 years ago when I worked on, on carbon markets. <laughs> um, and, and more recently working uh, on physical risk, and, and, and now I work on both again, helping investors and banks get access to good data and analytics for them to understand what their exposure is to climate change in terms of physical risk, in terms of uh, reducing carbon emissions so that they can factor that in their financial investment lending decisions. Terrific. I'd love to you know, just also understand, it's fascinating to me for people like you know, to, to learn from people like you, like where did this initially come from, this passion about climate change, climate risk? Has this always been sort of part of your DNA? You know, it's interesting because I was not originally so much of an environmentalist. I was cared, but my focus was always more on humans and societies. And I studied development studies and I uh, worked in emerging markets for a while, development, developing countries, actually. And I had my aha moment, like so many people with uh, Al Gore's uh, An Inconvenient Truth. Mm-hmm. And the realization that everything that we were working for collectively to support and lift humans out of poverty and, <laughs> and create better, a better society was going to be completely destroyed by climate change. Um, and so I've 
shifted my focus in my career towards climate change as yes, my, my passion and my life's work on um, helping again, shift financial markets and investments being made at scale in a way that might give us a chance to get back on track a little bit um, and making sure that we have investments going in the right direction with regard to reducing carbon emissions, but also investing in adaptation. And I, I suspect we'll talk a little bit about that. Got it. Okay. So now let's get up to speed what you're doing today. So talk to us about 427 and its evolution to Moody's and then what your focus is today then at Moody's. Sure. So I founded 427 back 11 years ago. Um, it was right before Hurricane Sandy. I had been working on carbon and climate policy for a number of years already. And I was getting a little depressed about the state of climate policy in the US. As you may remember, um, back six months ago and the 10 years before that, nothing happened. Um, so it was clear that we were entering a long trough with regard to climate policy. At the time, we had missed the window to do a lot. And it was also becoming clear at the time that uh, the science on climate change was not only unequivocal, but also that we were locked in a number of impacts, regardless of um, what emission reduction we were able to bring in, um, at least for the coming decades. And therefore, that there was a need to really start planning for and preparing for the impacts of climate change and not just talking about it as a, as a theoretical uh, possibility. Um, and so that was the the... Initial idea with Hurricane Sandy rolling into New York, what struck me was, in fact, the lack of preparedness uh, of a number of large companies. The New York Stock Exchange closed for three days. And at the same time, the really positive influence that uh, some businesses could play in terms of supporting resilience in the community. If a business was up and running, it could you know, serve warm meals or help people charge cell phones. If a business was shut down, it might never reopen and actually bring down the community in terms of long-term impacts. And so that was for me the impetus to focus on the private sector and on helping bridge the gap between the science that existed and that has also come a very long way since and bring this data in a form that is usable by the financial community and the corporate and the, and the business community so that they could integrate that in. Um, and so we did this. It was quite um, novel at the time when we started yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and there's been a strong shift in the market in the past um, couple of years, strong realization that climate was material and, and uh, for Moody's part, a desire to really engage with this topic much more seriously, bring in climate experts in-house to help factor climate into a range of its activities. And so then the work that you're doing at 427 now morphs into what you're doing at Moody's, right? And what what's the role at Moody's, the global head of climate solutions at Moody's? What are you doing? What are some of the solutions? And give us some, uh, you know, as much examples as you can, some of the good work that you're doing. I still have the title of CEO 427, but we're, that's actually going to phase out. Um, right, shortly, right. we're phasing out the brand. Um, we're focused on building Moody's offerings. So my work right now has also shifted a lot from running a small startup, 20 people, everybody does a bit of everything. And, you know, in my free time, I run payroll or, <laughs> or help QA some new data set. Um, with a with a large group and and Moody's has invested very heavily in ESG and climate, so we're now a group with over 450 people, and it's a very different ways to work because you have to orchestrate activities across a number of different teams. So what we do is actually quite exciting. We have a set of data points, uh, analytics that helps our clients understand how 
any given entity is exposed to climate change. So we're looking at both physical risk, transition risk and transition risk for corporates, for real estate properties, for cities, for countries. Um, and for each of those on physical risk, we bring a lot of climate models, scientific data about floods, about water stress. And we're looking very specifically at each location and providing a very detailed set of, a set of analytics around how are conditions going to change going forward um, and, and how might that affect the, the asset in question. And on transition risk, we're looking at carbon emissions. We're looking at whether they've made commitments to reduce their emissions, how far they are from those commitments. Are those commitments good enough? Are those shifting their investments in a way that supports uh, the statement that they're making? And then working with all the existing teams in Moody's Analytics in particular, so working with teams of macroeconomists and uh, credit risk modelers and um, all kinds of financial analysts to then help them factor in the impacts of climate into their models such that we're able to bring our client what we call climate-adjusted analytics and we bring climate scenarios for our uh, macroeconomic model clients, we bring a view for to banks on how climate might affect the probability of default for a company, for commercial real estate property, for, resi for residential mortgage, for structured products. So it's really baked in the tools and the analytics that uh, banks and investors already use for decision making. That's great. Uh, helpful. I know, not, not to be a wise guy, uh, but like, are people listening? In other words, I saw that, you know, Moody's had put out this report, I think it was called, well, uh, measuring what matters, a new approach to assessing a climate risk. And it's talking about $10 trillion worth of GDP is exposed to climate risk. Uh, so when I say like, are people listening? I mean, are they really, are these, are your clients really getting to the degree of exposure that's out there in the marketplace today and in the future? Yes and no is my very straight answer. Um, yes, we are seeing a big shift in the market where we're seeing the biggest global institutions, the largest banks, the largest investors, the BlackRock and the HSBC of the world making huge commitments uh, on climate that are not just statements that they put out, but they're working hard to really embed and incorporate those considerations into all their products, all their services. So there is a realization. And at the same time, it's still challenging in a number of specific uh, situations where folks who are making decisions on portfolio, on investment, uh, on lending, um, for them to factor in how material climate is in the time frame of their decision. If I'm a real estate investor and I'm turning over properties in three years, does it matter that Florida is going to be flooded in 40 years? That is the question that the market is really struggling with, right? Where, right. of course, it matters because at some point it's going to click and it's really going to start factoring in. But in the same time, the market is thriving right now. Um, and you would miss on this growing, you know, thriving market if you retreated, if I may use right. that word, if you pulled right. out too early. Right. Um, and so, and, and that's the big, that's the so-called tragedy of the horizon is it's obviously there, but it's also in maybe not quite there yet for sure, or harder to factor in when you're looking at a much shorter term horizon. So then how do we make that case, Emily? Like, how do we, you know, in our audience, obviously mostly commercial real estate owners, developers, asset managers, pension funds, et cetera. How do we make the case? with a greater sense of urgency that they need to be understanding the risk 
now in the short term? Because if we don't, obviously we know we miss all of these targets. Unfortunately, the climate is making that case for us because even though the worst impacts are long terms, we're already seeing <laughs> those impacts, right? If you ask people oh. in Louisiana and Tennessee and New Jersey, <laughs> New Jersey right now, right? Absolutely. Uh, they, I think people think climate change is very real. So what we're doing is we're looking at recent events and looking at how mar- key market variables have been affected by those events. So for example, the, the team that works on commercial real estate mortgages um, at Moody's has been looking looking at how different markets in Los Angeles, New York, New Orleans have been affected by key events like Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Sandy, uh, some big floods in LA a few years back, and looking at how vacancy and rent and uh, NOI were affected by those events and how quickly they recovered or not. And that's helping them make the case very concretely uh, of what the impact might be financially um, mm. of future more frequent, more intense events. And so, the, and that's probably the, the, the answer, which is it's got to be ROI focused. It's got to be in the data, which is you and you know all the great work that your colleagues are doing at Moody's. And, and that's the argument. I mean, yes, it's happening outside, but when it hits society, yes, there's a moral imperative, but when there's also financial risk, I think hopefully that's what's going to, what it's going to take. Could we spend a, a couple minutes on Moody's itself? Been a great supporter of Cretech, Cretech Climate. Uh, the leadership in the corporate world's been extraordinary. What can you say about sort of the culture at Moody's that uh, the company itself has made uh, sustainability ESG such a high priority? What what have you seen that the company's been doing right? How how does it work culturally so that we get this big company, everybody to embrace? The same kind of goals and commitments. I've read the uh, stakeholder sustainability report, which was incredibly helpful. What, what could you share just with the audience about working at Moody's and what you've experienced that they're doing right? I think there's a couple of things. One thing, and I can never uh, overstate that, is the importance of leadership from the top. And we have a CEO and a CFO and a C-suite and a senior leadership bench that is deeply involved. And, and in, in the case of the CEO, the CFO, personally committed to those which they see as defining issues for their generation and for the business. Um, And so that then really helps. It trickles down the whole company, but it also empowers people to be much more uh, open, explicit and engaged on this this topic. I will also say Moody's is a very uh, analytical company. And if you look at the data, you have your arguments made for you about how concerning this is, right? We're also customer centric and we hear from our clients that they want to see this data. And, you know, we've got shareholders and we've got to make money. And this is a big business opportunity for Moody. So there's a combination of a mission driven purpose to fulfill our mission to support better decisions. Uh, and in this instance, better decision as regard to climate risk and adaptation and resilience and, uh, and then a commercial, a commercial interest. Um, and what's, what's been great in working with Moody's over the past two years is the level of enthusiasm that we've seen in each of the team that work on their own specific area of expertise. We've seen the teams that work on residential mortgage models, for example, get really engaged with the physical risk data and look at ways to um, to model those impacts uh, on key mortgage markets in uh, in the UK, in the US. We've seen um, products like the the REITs platform uh, now featuring climate risk data um, into its core product because the the what we've really been focused on is how do we bring climate data and climate analytics where clients are ready 
using products, making their decisions, rather than force everyone to go grab data in all kinds of different places. And, and I think that's the, for me, that was very much the, the mission and the goal that um, I, I was hoping we'd accomplish with, with 427 and for the market overall is that it just becomes business as usual so that we stop making stupid decisions <laughs> by ignoring the science and the writing on the wall. Well, it's so important. I'm doing this podcast and yeah, there's some companies that'll reach out and try and get people on the podcast or get them on our stages when we do our live uh, in-person events. And I'm always sort of like, not suspicious, but I'm just, I scrutinize the company and do a little bit of homework to see that, you know, that this is not a greenwashing attempt here. And clearly with Moody's, I mean, it, it's so obvious in how you've been able to, to exceed all the targets that the company has set um, itself. And I think it's, it's vital that companies that are doing great work are also doing it for themselves. Um, right. And they're and, walking the walk. And, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier is when you have that leadership coming from the top, when you have sustainability being a core function in the financial office, as it is at Moody's, then you have teams that are empowered to get, <laughs> to get what they need and to push and roll out initiatives and to do the investments, whether it's, you know, making sure that the actual offices are energy efficient or, or working with renewable energy or whether that is from a product standpoint, investing in new analytics and models so that we can try to bring the, the best, um, the best available data and science to, to our clients. Yeah. And I tell everybody, we don't have enough time on the podcast to go through it all, but I, I'd encourage everybody to go look at Moody's uh, sustainability reports. They're incredibly inspiring and educational as well, giving some great best practices and strategies. So finally, Emily, you know, as somebody that's doing such good work on the climate change front at 427 and now at Moody's and on the front line of this crisis, are you hopeful that we can get there? We get to set these net zero targets as as industries and as a society? If so, what gives you the hope? I am a lot more optimistic than I was even just a year ago because we've seen so many commitments come out. Um, I don't think we have the technology everywhere to reach those targets yet, but in a way you need to prime the pump and signal interest to get money flowing towards investing in new technology. And I think in the built environment in particular, we actually have a pretty good idea of what needs to be done. There's a lot of technology. We're, uh, we have a new report coming out actually in a couple of weeks um, around Climate Week uh, NYC showing some of the work that we're doing with a partner to help uh, banks and investors understand how they can bring their portfolio to net zero with a detailed technology analysis of what's the most efficient and cost-effective way to do that. And so there's a lot of tools uh, to support those commitments. Um, now we're going to have to hold all the banks and corporations and investors that have made those big, you know, lofty goals to actually put their <laughs> money where their mouth is and, uh, and invest to reduce emissions. But Yes, I'm a, I'm a little more hopeful that we can get there than that I was gives, maybe 10 years well, ago. Well, that gives me hope because I, I do fo I follow everything that you put out on LinkedIn and great content and great speeches. And so if you're hopeful, that gives me a little bit more hope as well, because as somebody that's just focused on the built world, seeing that the industry is 40% of all carbon emissions, both operating and embodied, and it's the biggest industry on earth. And it's investing the least in terms of technology and innovation. It's a massive challenge. I'm appreciative that you're focused on on the industry. If you've got hope, uh, I think that's encouraging. I, I do. And, and we do a lot of work in the real estate sector. No. And I've seen some true thought leaders 
um, thinking about uh, physical risk and how to integrate resilience and factoring climate risk into their uh, their investment decisions, and um, and then the older thinking around net zero buildings or even negative emission buildings. Um, I think there's a lot of good things that can happen there, and that the the industry is is starting to move in that direction. Terrific. Well, Emily Maza Curati, you got it. <laughs> oh, phew. there was a pause there. I got really nervous. I was, it's like, oh gosh, did I get it? Uh, thank you. And again, as we were talking earlier, my, my name gets butchered. My my kids' names get butchered. So I apologize. Um, no I'm just, apology needed. Thank uh, you so just, much for having me. Yeah, I'm just doing the best I can. I'm I'm old and I'm I'm barely literate, so I, I make a lot of mistakes on names. My wife's always rolling her eyes, like, oh gosh, how many times have I told you? It's Emily. Mazakurati. I'm just going to all day now just go Mazakurati. Should be like a car or something like that. Yeah, that's that's been said before. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, thanks so much for your time and all the great work you're doing. Really, really appreciate it. Of course. No, thanks for having me. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe and join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the Cretech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.